Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. just want to begin how I'll end. It's just nothing but gratitude. Nothing but gratitude, man. Nothing but gratitude. To the opportunity that we were given by Second Presbyterian Church. Uh, see Britain's here, Marshall's here today, Maddie T. I finally, my prayer started working. We probably finally prayed Maddie and Grace into the fold, so. I'm just waiting on Britain. And don't tell George, though. Just leave it between us. Uh, Yeah. Nothing but gratitude for the opportunity that we were given to be able to plant this church. The prayers of many people in this community and the body of Christ. Uh, You may not know this, but this is an answer to their prayers. Uh, People have prayed for decades just to see another relevant, outward-focused, gospel-centered church in Memphis. And here's one. So we praise God for that. It's thankful for five years, for the duration, you know. Um, to do this, uh, the Without Walls Church is serving with us today. And... Um, um, you know, it's so funny because it's like, man, you think they are like a fresh church plant. Like they are in the beginning stages. And I had a chance to spend some time with, with, with Isaac and that team and uh, Pastor Isaac and that team. I was like, man, you know, I bet a young church that it would be really helpful to give them lots of money, but we don't have that or just lots of something. But uh, um, I... It seems really weird, but my spirit, before I left out of that place, I was like, man, I wonder if they would come and serve. Um, Because I think one of the sweetest benefits we could have given them is the opportunity to see what their prayers and their hard work can become. It's just like, man, God is faithful. He can do a thing. And I'm just telling you without Walls Church, we used to meet across the street, and I could have threw five beach balls, and I wouldn't have hit anybody. I'm just telling you. There were Sundays where it was just my family and the core family in there, worshiping the Lord. So I thank God for you. I thank God for the people that we get to do this thing with. Turn your neighbor. I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I get to do this thing with you. But I'm really thankful for the gospel. And that's where I want to kind of land today. Um, I'm going to try to give you an anniversary kind of time amount. Because <laughs> we'd have had a lot. But, you know, I'm going to try to do what I can do what I does. There, um, in uh, 1992, 93, 94, um, my family, my dad was um, finishing up his 20th year in the military. And so we moved to uh, Mobile, Alabama. And um, we stayed, um, our 
my mom and my, my two sisters, we stayed with my grandma um, for probably like a year, year and a half. And um, while my dad was kind of finishing up, it was a big culture shock. Big culture shock. Because Madea lived in a shotgun house. And, you know, ain't no privacy. You just go from one room to the next room to the next room to the next room. It just, you know, it ain't, you ain't getting away from nobody. You know what I'm saying? Um, I told y'all a funny story before. My, uh, my, uh, my grandma, she used to bathe us with dishwashing detergent and liquid. So it's just all kind of just, I was like, Mom, what is, why she got the dishwashing soap on us? You know what I'm saying? Get in there, boy, and just wash your hair. It's like, okay. So it's just big culture shop. And so uh, we would be in Mobile, Alabama. Wasn't no summer programming, nothing. So we would wake up. In the morning, and if we weren't getting whoopings, we were just getting some kind of other trouble, just what it's just wild. But you know, they would get sit in there and watch some TV, you know, and all like only three movies my grandma had was Jesus of Nazareth, <laughs> Short Circuit. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all don't know about Short Circuit. And she had Grease, <laughs> which was probably it was the better of the three options, I would say. And so don't ask me why this middle-aged black guy knows so much about Danny and Sandy, but I do. <laughs> don't judge me, you know what I'm saying? And so if you know anything about the movie, you know that uh, you know, it opens and, and there's Danny and Sandy, they're enjoying this magical summer and then all of a sudden the summer has to come to it. Yeah, it's got to come to an end. And then it's the first day of school, and so all of a sudden everybody's trying to catch up with what we are going, uh, what happened over the summer, and, and was it cool or whatever. And then those of, my, those of us, my grease lightning people, you know that opening song, you know. Tell me more, tell me more. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, man. Don't, don't be ashamed. Be, be, be one with me today. Just come on out. Just come on, be one, right? And so, obviously, you know, Sandy and Danny with Danny Zuko with the slick hair, you know what I'm saying? He's doing his thing. And, and what's happening, those of y'all who don't know this American classic, is everybody's just, you know, Sandy's got her girlfriends around and she's telling them about how magical this summer was with this boy. And they're like, ooh, tell me more, right? And then Danny, you know, he's slick, Ricky doing his thing and he's got his little homies around and he's just telling them, he's getting everybody stirred up, right? And they're like, tell me more. And so the basic premise is this, it's like, man, Sandy and Danny, they wanted to share what they had experienced over the summer, and the people around them were so captivated by what they had experienced, they wanted them to tell them more. Concerning the last five years of ministry at the Avenue Community Church, I simply want to say this as we go forward. If we want more, they'll want to hear more. If we want more, they'll want us to tell them more. What I'm trying to tell you is that our satisfaction in the gospel will keep people coming back for more. That whether or not they, they have time to hear what we have to say depends on how satisfied is we are in the experience we have to tell them. There's a brief verse in Acts 13. Paul starts his missionary journey with Barnabas. They get commissioned. And then all of a sudden, throughout the chapter, it's about 50-some-odd verses. This, this verse stuck out to me, and I knew it was ours for the anniversary. 
Acts 13, 42 just says that as Paul and Barnabas, they were on one of their assignments. They left the synagogue that day, but the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Just pause real quick. They were in the temple. They were teaching. They were explaining the glories of the gospel. And it was so overwhelming to the audience that the people themselves begged that Paul and Barnabas would come back the next week and share it again. Avenue, do you want a faith and a witness that is so compelling that people want more of it? More of it. Tell me more about this Jesus. More of what, some of you might say. More of the gospel. And I was just curious, like, I know the gospel. Obviously, I'm a pastor. I get paid to, to yell and scream at you. But, you know, come on. I, I wish I could put myself back in the mind because, you know, that's what we do. You know, sometimes when we are not confident in the anointing and the assignment that God has on our lives, we feel like we got a copy. So in my mind, I was like, man, I wish I knew what they were doing in order to get that result. What I need to tell people is what I'm experiencing. I don't need to copy Pastor Keller's words. I don't need to call it, copy Pastor Piper's words. I don't need to get a transcript of Sandy Wilson's. I need to tell you what I'm experiencing in Jesus. Amen. And see if you want some more of it. What are you experiencing in Jesus and is it compelling enough that people say, listen, what you're experiencing ain't what I'm experiencing. I want more of what you got. What you need to know about Acts 13 is the gospel was so compelling and amazing that they actually passed by a Jewish sorcerer, right? But the proconsul who was affiliated with the Jewish sorcerer, he was like, hey, man, I, I got time. Let me hear about the gospel, right? And so as they begin to preach the gospel, they end up rebuking the Jewish sorcerer. And, and literally, can you imagine somebody who's putting these hooky-pookies spells on people, and then all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas, they probably had pocket protectors, you know what I'm saying? They probably had open-toed Bobo sandals, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't even the good kind of Jordan 1 sandals, you know, just these two look, unassuming dudes, and they walk up to the Jewish sorcerer and say, hey, I don't know if you heard, but somebody got murdered on a tree. Hey, but three days later, he got rose up, and he got more power in his pinky toe than you got in that big book you got. Shut your mouth. The display of the gospel was so rich that the proconsul actually gave his life to Jesus that day because he saw a demonstration of the power of the ones who hold the heavens in his hands. It says, when the governor saw what happened, he became a believer for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Don't you want to witness that people are astonished at? I want people to marvel at what? It's being said and what is being done. In the verse where we find ourselves, this is Paul and Barnabas, they're in the temple. And they have been preaching the good news about Jesus, which led people to say, I want to hear more. Everybody say more. It's the first message we preached here at the avenue. Good news. Mark 1, I would encourage you to go find it. It's the reason why we exist. It's because we have good news to share. 
that people who were lost, who have been found, people who are blind can now see. People who were the worst of sinners are now justified and made right because of the work of Christ. We have good news to share. What is the gospel? I pray that you've heard it over the 150 plus sermons that I preach here at this church. God, forgive me if I haven't. But just to state it as succinctly as possible, Israel's promised king, the one that was promised ever since Genesis 3.15, he became the savior of the whole world. Not just the Jews, but the whole world, y'all. And he's forgiven your sins, and he not only has exonerated you, but he's brought you into his family as if you were always one of his own. That's about as succinct as I can get it. And guess what? That only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And I love this story coming out of Acts because Acts, as the Bible Project would say, is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. This is important because sometimes, I, I, I would just tell you this, sometimes it's better to be super simple with your gospel definitions because it's so vast, it's so comprehensive. If you relegate the gospel just to forgiveness, you're missing big chunks, huge chunks, right? Sometimes it's just better to say the gospel is Jesus. It's just better. Because when we say Jesus, we're talking about his lordship. We're talking about his saving power. We're talking about his sustaining power. The one in Colossians 1 who holds all things together. The one who's reconciling all things. Sometimes it's just better to say, well, Jesus. Sometimes the Sunday school answer was the right answer and we should have never got rid of it. Hey, who did it? Jesus. Just say Jesus. It covers it all. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to just throw it out there. Now, all I can tell you is that for people who were sitting in a Jewish synagogue in the first century, what they heard that they wanted to hear more of had to be something so comprehensive that was actually affecting their day-to-day -day lives, not just something in the future, right? The gospel is not a message primarily about something that happens when you die. But the gospel is absolutely a, a message about a change of status. It's about a new life, and it's inviting you into a new way to live that has future hope and eschatological promises, but it's affecting you right now. Right now, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right now, you have the fruit of the Spirit attaining and attesting to you right now. Let me tell you what the gospel is not. There's a lot of news. I don't know what y'all listen to these days. Sky News, Fox News, CNN News, Twitter News, Tutus, Beboos, whatever. It's a lot of news in the stream, right? And though sometimes we know we have to be careful because some of our news is not unbiased. They're not just trying to give us the information. They're trying to lean us in certain directions, aren't they? Hey, here's a way that I want you to look at it. You're not just telling me what happened. You're telling me how to interpret what has happened. So we have to always be careful sober-minded, to view our news not through a, a diplomatic, unbiased view, but a biblical worldview. We are biased, aren't we? 
we do have a particular bent and a leaning, and that's towards the com- Christ and his coming kingdom. All that to say, gospel, euangelion, means good news. And there's a lot of news. And every news that we get, every piece of information we get is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. Y'all know there's the gospel of romance. Y'all know it's the gospel of money. Y'all know it's the gospel of security and the gospel of family and the gospel of inner peace. You know those are different gospels. They ain't the gospel of Jesus Christ. What what you talking about, Pastor Tim? I'm, I'm telling you that in the marketplace, competing with the news of what Christ, the coming King, has done for you and secured for you, there's also other news flooding into your stream. And and what is it? It's anything else that is trying to secure your dependence, either for your identity, either for your joy, either for your peace, your security, your identity, your significance in this world. There are other things that are competing with Christ for that. And as the parable says, those things have a propensity to try to choke the seed in the Word of God out of your life. The cares of this world. You have to be careful. But I'm more convinced than ever that after five years of gospel ministry here, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the most relevant, most important information we can ever tell people. Do you? The cross-shaped life, the cruciform life, the life that is shaped by the gospel is not a life in which we pursue our own plans, we pursue our own identity, and we sprinkle a little little atonement on top of it. That's not the cross-shaped life where we do our own thing and we just say, God, you got the forgiveness part, right? But let me just take care of what I'm trying to do, right? And you can just bless that, right? Uh Uh-uh, that's not how it works. The gospel is a life, the cruciform life, the cross-shaped life is a life that has been so radically captivated by the gospel that it radically forever changes not just your behavior but your desires. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. And the things you used to want, you don't want no more. How many of y'all have been around with Christ long enough to know he's changed my appetites? How many of y'all been walking with Christ long enough to know that, hey, you don't, have, you don't feel so constrained? They used to have to tell you, girl, don't go to the club tonight. Mm-mm, girl, don't do it. Put the, put the dress back. It used to be like, ooh, but just one more time. One more time. I did, I did Zumba this week. I feel real good. If I could just show them one more time. They actually used to have to keep you out the streets. How many of y'all been walking with Christ long enough to know you didn't threw your club clothes away? Because he's changed my affections. He's changed my desires. Because the gospel is about finding life's ultimate treasure. And what is that ultimate treasure, y'all? It's Christ. Paul says early in Philippians, he says to live is Christ. He goes back in Philippians 3. He says, I count literally everything as lost because of the surpassing greatness of knowing, just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is he that valuable to you? We still got people who are willing to count everything else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, your Lord. He says, 
Christ is more precious, more valuable, more satisfying than all that life on this earth can give. You want to know why people want, who have time, who got jobs? You want to know who people in the first century who got family? Y'all want to know who, uh, about people who got to sell stuff in the marketplace but says, hey man, if y'all want to come tell me more about that Christ, I'll, I'll forget about what I got to make on that crop. Forget about my obligations. I'll make time to hear more about what you're telling me. Because I guarantee you, Paul and Barnabas were explaining the beauties of Christ, that he is the most precious and valuable thing that you could ever have, brother. And even if you left this earth poor as a joke, and even if you left this earth and you never got a spouse, and even if you left this earth and you never have uh, your children and you have Jesus, you have everything, brother. Yeah, I know it's tight. I know it's tight, but it's the gospel. It's the only thing that's ever been promised to us. Don't, it's not come to Jesus and you get all of your life circumstances eliminated. If you come to Jesus, you want me to tell you what you get? Jesus. That's the stick. John Piper just says it like this, the gospel is God. The end of the gospel is not forgiveness, but it's a sweet, soul-nourishing, mind-regulating, spirit-invigorating union with the creator of the universe. Avenue, is the gospel still good news to you? Avenue, do you still have an appetite for the surpassing worth and greatness of Jesus? Is he still all in all? Do you want more? Would you be willing to pull up and hear more? Tell me more about that Jesus. Is he still satisfying people today? Because the only way they'll want more is if we want more. The only way to bring shalom to summer is if shalom is truly in us. You cannot share what you have not experienced. You cannot give what you do not delight in. And just in case you find yourself in that predicament today where you're like, PT, I don't know, man. Like, I'm dry and I'm struggling. I just want to once again reintroduce you to this, that if you want Christ, you can have Christ. Isaiah 55 would say this, come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters. And even if you have no money, come and buy how can we tell if we want more, PT? I think it's we got a desire to share it. I get to, we can tell if this church really wants more. I told her, uh, I was live the other day, and I was like, man, you know, I was so thankful for church planting in and of itself. And I was telling other people, I said, wherever you are in your church, even happy at your churches, you need to be literally laying on your church. When we gonna plant a church? When we gonna send more missionaries? Because this is too good to keep to ourselves. There is no interest here in just building some massive organization where we just love on each other forever. This thing got to be going, baby. We on the move. We exist because we have good news to share. And if we're not sharing it, why do we exist? If the salt is losing its tastiness and flavor, what purpose does it have? 
If you got something good, you want to share it. And don't give me the mumbo jumbo. That's the enemy always playing with us, right? Because when you get a good personal trainer, you're like, girl, I got me a good personal trainer. You ought to come try him out. You know what I'm saying? When you, <laughs> when you get you a good bundle on the streaming service, girl, let me tell you what I did. I saved about 50 bucks because I put Hulu with the ESP and I did it all like that. And girl, let me tell you, right? That's what we do naturally. Is the gospel still good enough news to you that you would give unsolicited marketing for the King of Kings? They don't even pay me for this, but I got to tell you something. You got time? I just need to tell you about Jesus. Anybody got time today? We could tell if we want more, if we have desire to share. We could tell if we want more as we have joy in our sharing. There's this one crazy part of Acts early on where these boys are literally sharing this new gospel and they are suffering persecution for it, Acts 5.14. But these boneheads, literally, when they left court and they left their punishment and their flogging, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Is he still so beautiful that even if you had to cry sometimes, it'd be worth sharing? Song used to say, I lay awake at night, but that's all right, because I know Jesus. Mm. Man, I just, there's, there's so much beauty. Can I just be honest? There's so much beauty with having your Christianity formed in a suffering community. Just because you know how to wait on Jesus and you know the answer to every trial and every circumstance. Who going to fix it? Jesus. I'm moving on. The baby's got me timed up right. What I'm trying to tell you, Avenue, as we move forward in five years, is that the good news must be delivered with joy, and it's got to be received with joy if it's actually good news, right? If it's good news, then you got to have joy sharing it and joy receiving it. If not, it really ain't good news at all, is it? (laughs) And maybe... This five years, as we celebrate, as we think and we remember, maybe for you, maybe this year, you just need to be focused on hearing the good news again. Maybe you need to run a diagnostic in your own heart and ask yourself, what am I looking for in this life? And are you turning to Christ to find it? Are you turning from Christ to find it? I heard my seminary professor this week said that sometimes we get a little lost and misguided on the journey. That even Mary and Martha, as they were serving, some of us have found us serving for Christ and we've lost Christ in the journey. I just want to tell you, I'm praying for you. 
we see the, the, the light flickering and getting a little dimmer. But I just want to tell you, there's still hope. There's still hope. The gospel that saved you is still true for you now, that he came to satisfy and even eclipse the greatest longings of your heart. This church, I think Tim Keller said this once, that there's three stages in a church's life cycle. He calls it movements, machines, and monuments. That essentially what happens is churches start as a movement. So much excitement, right? And it's so much, you know, the novelty's there and you're just trying to do what you, you know, you're just trying to make it to the next week. You don't even know if you got enough money to pay your staff. You don't even know if people are going to show up the next week. And it's just so much thrill and anxiety and anticipation just wrapped up in the survival and getting that journey started. And people are so excited. They feel like new life is coming. We're coming to do a thing. And it's so it's very fresh. But at a certain point, churches, they grow up, Right? And it doesn't feel so helter-skelter. And life doesn't feel like you're always on the edge and you got enough more money to pay people and you have more facilities, you got more programs. And it feels like a grown church. It feels more like a machine, right? And you kind of just do that thing. And then Keller says, you know you're kind of in a weird space when people start saying, oh, you remember when? Because now your church has kind of become a monument. You kind of done the machine thing, and now we're just talking about the good old days. And I'm sure that analogy breaks down at certain points. But what I'm telling you is these next five years for us, I want to extend the movement phase as long as I can. I want us to stay hungry. We haven't done anything yet. Compared to what we can do, compared to the vision that I've seen in the secret places of prayer and in my heart, we ain't even scratched the surface. We, in, in, in using the prime lingo, we still coming. The best is yet to come for the Avenue Community Church. But here's the funny thing. It's not those traditional goals that maybe some people may have, right? When we gonna get to 300 worshipers? That ain't on my list. Is it on yours? It's not on mine. When we gonna get the building and get it? Blah, 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 blah. Let me just tell you really quick, quickly, and y'all can let me go tomorrow and send me somewhere else. But the, the building ain't the goal. That's not the mountaintop. That's a part of the plan. It's a part of the plan. I can't wait to see how God going to use us and use that building to keep bringing shalom. But it ain't the mountaintop. We ain't arrived yet. I want to be a part of something special. I want to invite you to be a part of something special. And I want to stay hungry. Stay hungry because we're hungry for more of the gospel to be experienced and hungry for more of the gospel to come out of us. In the spirit of Dion and all the hype speeches and all the things, you know, I have visions for, I love all that. You know I love all that. If you want to know what I'm doing on Saturday, I'm probably just listening to like a hundred pregame speeches in a row, just 
just getting excited for no reason. I don't have no eligibility. I'm just. If you're a covenant member at this church, would you stand, please? From the time that I was a little boy watching Gladiator and Braveheart speeches and Last Samurai and all that kind of stuff, all I've ever wanted to do was motivate people. And you know, when your football playing days is over, it's like, well, shoot, how am I going to keep motivating people? What, what am I going to motivate them towards? Only that the gospel was so far surpassing. It was so much more worthy of captivating our minds and our hearts than any rah-rah thing I could have ever did at any other time in the past. I was talking to Victor. It's, let Victor wave his hand. He said... <laughs> He sent me a text because he's such a little fiery little booger. That's what y'all need. To, Victor is so South Memphis. Y'all need to know that too. When y'all get Victor cornered up, he just 100%. But we were talking, and I think I was just checking in on him. And uh, <laughs> I was like, man, Vic, how you doing? And... Um, Vic said, man, the devil should have took his chance a while back. Five years later, is this ministry worth it? Is the time here worth it? Not because all of y'all are here. I think if, if the devil wanted me to stop and wanted us to stop, he should have tried to crush that thing before we saw the marriages restored. He should have tried it a long time ago. He should have he cut that jump before you got your priorities realigned and now you have a new way to live. He should have cut it before some of y'all who were racist, literal professed racist, now worship in a multi-ethnic environment. Some of y'all who literally were adulterers, now living in faithfulness in the middle of your home. He should have cut it before that, but now I see too much. I didn't see too much to stop now, y'all. We're just getting started. Uncork us and let us loose. And I'm just going to keep pushing the tempo because it means too much, y'all. And there are quieter, more quaint, more sweeter, docile places to worship. But here, we're on a mission. And if that's too much for you, find you another pastor. I'm good. I only got one life. Set me free. Don't hold me and try to make me something I'm not. 
Turn me and my family loose on this world and let us drag as many souls as we can to heaven. But you're the group. You're the group and this is our time. And when they speak about the Avenue Community Church, let it be known that our lives were radically reordered, that our culture was going away in droves, but everything within us and ourselves, we anchored ourselves in Christ in His truth. And God used us. They will forget our names. They won't even know who pastors this church, pastored this church 200 years from now. But let our lives be the ink that writes the glorious name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that will never fade. Who wants more? Who wants more? More gospel, more passion, more opportunities to share it. I want more, y'all.